0: Isaiah chapter 38, I want you to notice verses 1 to 8, I want to read those verses, and I want you, if you have a pen out, or if you brought a highlighter with you, there's some words you want to highlight and watch this morning, and uh, would you pray with me that God would use uh, the words we read in the message as a word of comfort for some who probably need it, and for the rest of us, that God would teach us how to pray. The disciples asked Jesus when he, after He finished praying, they said, Lord, teach us to pray, And this is one of those areas where this is a dimension of praying that I'm not going to get very heavily into. I've done in the past. But it's a dimension of praying that has very high requirements for God to answer it. And uh, you might just want to focus in on that a little bit today because my my message is not so much on the prayer as much as what God did in the answer there for us. Notice verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him, and he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall, and he prayed unto the Lord, and he said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. In other words, in that last phrase, he's saying, God, I've done your will as you've asked me to do. And would you notice the next phrase? And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add into thy days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Notice verse 7. And this shall be a sign unto thee from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Behold, I will bring back, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees which has gone down in the sundial of Ahaz. Ten degrees backwards. So the sun returned ten degrees, by which degrees it was was down. I want you to focus this morning on verse 8. A remarkable statement, the prophet Isaiah was given by God. Remember, this was the Lord's words. He said, thus saith the Lord. He said, I'm going to take the sundial of Ahaz. And he said, it naturally goes forward. And if you read Second Chronicles and Second Kings, there's a little bit more elaboration on that. God said, I'm going to turn it backwards. I'm going to set the clock back. I'm going to set it back. I have to watch the clocks around here at church to make sure people aren't turning it too fast. They to get me to speed up my preaching. Amen? But God said, I'm going to turn the clock back. I want to preach a message for just a few minutes this morning about 10 degrees backwards or turning back the clock of your life. Father, would you bless your word? These are the perfect oracles of God. How many preach these oracles as a dying man to living people? And it's living people who maybe there's just a step between us and death. I pray you put a sense of urgency in our hearts about the things of God. Thank you for people who have assembled for church today. Use this service now to glorify yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Isaiah was God's prophet to Judah and Jerusalem. He ministered to four kings. He ministered to King Uzziah, Uzziah's son Jotham, Uzziah's grandson Ahaz, and his great-grandson Hezekiah. He did live a little bit to the time of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. We believe that, according to Jewish tradition, Isaiah was martyred and killed by Manasseh. We read over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37. It speaks about the great heroes of faith, and there's a section there which I'm going to read from that their names are not mentioned. There are many anonymous, but they're incredible things that they did. And I was reviewing it a little bit this week because of just some things we're going through as a nation and the kind of faith we need to exercise. But it makes this remarkable statement in Hebrews 11.37, which I believe alludes to Isaiah. In Hebrews 11.37, it says, They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Now, there's a myriad of people being spoken of there. I believe it refers, in some sense, to Isaiah In this passage, I believe it refers to Elijah and people like that. But notice in verse 37, the second phrase, they were sawn asunder. I believe the writer of Hebrews, who was I believe was Apostle Paul, was very well versed in Jewish history. They they remembered in their writings about what had happened to Isaiah, and he talked about the faith of this man Isaiah. Isaiah was a faithful messenger, he was a faithful prophet of God, he was a man that held true to God's word. If you follow every single message that God gave to Isaiah, Isaiah preached exactly what God gave him, and nothing more, nothing less. Every time he came, he opened the word of God, he rolled open the scroll, and he said, thus saith the Lord. Let me remind you today, Bible-believing Baptist churches, that is our hallmark. We preach, thus saith the Lord. We open God's Word and preach His Word. We don't preach something else. We're not worried about the next flavor of the day. I'm a little wary of theological seminaries and theological schools. They're trying to get people on this, uh, these preachers on this this model where you've got to figure out how to do what somebody else does and read this book and get your idea. And I'm all for that where that helps every now and then. But we have to get to the place of realizing word by word, uh, sentence by sentence, verse by verse, we realize as we open the Word of God, we must preach, thus saith the Lord. Now, this morning, we we look at a passage that is very, very interesting, because last week we saw in chapters 36 and 37, we saw the prophet Isaiah praying one of the great prayers of the Bible. I'm not an expert on prayer. I never will be an expert, but neither are you, and neither is anybody else that's alive right now. We've got a long way to go in learning about prayer, but what's remarkable about it is that he prayed a prayer once, and he prayed a prayer twice, and God, through that prayer, stopped the armies of Assyria from attacking him. I was reading my devotion. I was spending some time in Isaiah 41 and 42, among other chapters I've been reading, and and I I saw a thought there that God says, You know, they're not going to touch you. They're not going to bother you. He said, Fear not, I'm with thee. We have a lot of fears in our life. Tonight I'll talk about what Revelation 28 speaks about the fearful and the unbelieving. Who are those people that will be in the lake of fire? Who are the fearful? We have a lot of fears. Even among God's people, we have a lot of fears. Worried about, will we have enough money? Can we survive in California? Will I lose my job? And I've been out on the job market for a long period of time, and I don't know if I can get a job, and you know, I, I, I'm worried about my age, and you get to the midlife, and you got, you're going through your crisis because all your friends are going through a crisis. You're worried about whether or not you can take care of your aging parents and take care of your kids growing up. If, if you have young kids, you, you're concerned and anxious and about the world that your kid is growing up in, and we should be concerned. We're fearful about disease. I mean, everybody in this room, we're fearful about COVID-19, and we should be. We're fearful about where our government's going and what's going to happen in the upcoming fall election. I mean, we have a lot of fears about a lot of things. But well, we're noticing here in chapter 38, this man goes from a situation in chapter 37 where God miraculously came down, and without lifting a sword, or without lifting a spear, without picking up a shield, God sent his angel, one angel out, a battle angel, a mighty warrior of God. He sent him out at night, and he circled the camp of all the Assyrians, and 185,000 of them were left lying dead on the ground there. And Isaiah comes out of this and thinking, man, what a mighty God we have. And Hezekiah comes out and is thinking, what a mighty God we have. Then notice verse 38 chapter uh, chapter 38 verse 1 In those days Hezekiah is facing the greatest fear of his life I'm 39 I've been on the throne 14 years And God just told me, get your affairs in order. And God was very blunt about it. He said, You're going to die. You're going to die. It's kind of like the story I read, kind of a human story about a man that was having all these ailments and sicknesses, and he was having all this trouble, and his wife drove him to the doctor's office, and you know, this is pre-COVID, and all this kind of stuff there, and he went to go see the doctor, they ran a blood test, and they they did the analysis there in the office, and did all these other things and checked him out. I mean, they did a very, very thorough multiphasic on this guy, and when they were done, the doctor, the doctor said, sir, you go outside in the lobby, I need to see your wife, and the guy saying, man, what's wrong with me? He goes outside, gets changed, puts his clothes on, and goes back outside the lobby, tells his wife, hey honey, the doctor wants to see you about, about he wants to tell you about my diagnosis. Please don't, don't say they're too loud. I'm anxious to know what he's gonna tell you. And she went inside a little bit trepidatiously, not knowing what the doctor's gonna say. He said, ma'am, sit down in my office. He said, listen, this is this is what's going on to your husband. He says, he's not doing very good, but I have a solution for you. He says, here's what you do. I want you to cook him whatever he asks you to cook for him. For every meal, at least for dinner time. I want you to give him kingly treatment. I want you to put his foot up on a footstool. I want you to take good care of him. I want you to pamper him. Whatever he asks for you to do that, just go the extra mile for him. And he lists off all these different things he could do, that she could do to make his life very pleasurable. She, she listens to this, doesn't write down anything. She walks outside. Her husband says, what did he say? She said, let's go to the car. They went inside the car. They got inside. She sat in the driver's seat. He's seen the passenger seat. He said, honey, what did the doctor say? And she turned at him with a blank face and said, you're going to die. God came to Hezekiah and said, you're going to die. Let's lighten up for just a minute. Actually, let's get sobered up. What would you do if the doctor told you that? I'm sorry. There's nothing else we could do. Then remarkably, as we go through this chapter, Isaiah prays Hezekiah prays again. It's not a long prayer. I mean, I believe God recorded the prayers exactly as they prayed. I don't think God abbreviated them. I think of the prayer of Jabez. I mean, that's one of my favorite prayers I love to read. He says, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed, enlarge my coast, and thy hand may be upon me, that I may not see evil. And the Bible says, God answered him what he requested. When God answered the prayer because he knew there might be some hesitation and some doubt in the heart, and we do, be honest, there's sometimes you pray and you haven't prayed through the matter, but you're a little bit heavy, still hearted about the matter, and you're wondering, God, is God really going to answer this or not? And I want you to notice as we look at verse two and three, we notice this man Hezekiah is very, very heavy in heart. And God says, I'm gonna give you a sign. I'm gonna give you a sign. I want us to look at that sign this morning, 10 degrees backward, if I could turn the clock back. Notice, first of all, if we would, please, notice the excellent value. I want you to notice with me this morning the value of life. Hezekiah is in the 14th year of his reign. He started at age 25. From day one until this moment of time when Isaiah came to him to tell him he was going to die, he had lived his life the way a Christian ought to live. He did not disappoint God. He had no skeletons in his closet. He had nothing scandalous about his government. He lived his life as he should live for God. He instituted some great reforms, brought revival to the kingdom. I mean, I love reading in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles the things that he did and really some of the things he did could be perceived as being very disrespectful to the legacy of his father, even though his father was sinful and very, very wicked, but he overturned all the bad things his father did. He got the house of God back open. He cleaned the house of God out from all the filth that was in there because the house of God had been polluted by all the desecrations in there. He got the Levites back serving, and he followed God. I mean, he did all these things he was supposed to do, and now he gets to age 39. He's fought some battles. He's just had a major answer to prayer in chapters 36 and 37, and now somehow he's starting to feel the strain and the stress of all that he's done because the strain and stress is there. And he realizes that he's, there's something wrong with his health. And he's going around and instead of getting better, he's declining. He's realizing that he's not feeling very well. And he's going from feeling very uh, not feeling very well to feeling very lethargic. And he's going from feeling very lethargic to realizing he has no appetite. And he goes from not having no appetite to not being able to sleep well at night. And then he wakes up in the morning. He doesn't want to roll out of bed. He has all these symptoms of telling him there's something deathly wrong. He doesn't want to eat. He doesn't want to associate with people. He's feeling very bad. He's looking God. He's losing weight. He's dehydrated. I mean, everything that can be wrong with the man is going wrong with him. He's having trouble. And they get to the point where he can't even get out of bed. He was very sick. Notice verse 22, 21. The Bible says that he had a boil, they made a poultice, a plaster figs to put on it. Now if you read all the commentators, they'll tell you it was a boil and the word boil, if you look at it in terms of how Job used it in the book of Job, it refers to a, uh, a condition where uh, there, there, is, there could be some protrusions out of your body because of some sickness, but it also indicates that your, your skin becomes very scaly darkened, and uh, it's kind of, they call it ele- elephantitis and things like that. I mean, he, that, that's what they said Job. Had. But I believe as we look at Isaiah's specific case, when it talks about this boil and it was in, a, and it was in his abdominal area, he may have had a form of a sarcoma cancer. Sarcoma so cancers, they grow inside. They're soft tissue cancers that grow inside. They attach themselves to your organs. And if you don't deal with it right away, if you don't find out and deal with it right away, that not only can, that they don't, when they do surgery, they not only take out the cancer, but they have to remove organs as well. And there's a likelihood that if you have a sarcoma cancer like that, it's going to come back. I believe he had something like that. I can't prove it, but I believe he had something like that. It was deathly killing him. It was fast-growing. It took his life away. He went from breathing normally to palpitations. oxygen level dropped from a normal of 95 to 100, probably dropped down to 70. I mean, he was having difficulty breathing. His blood pressure was all messed up. I mean, his circulation was messed up. If they had all the medical technology of today, they would have told him the same thing God told him. You're dying. And when he got that message in verse 1, I want to tell you today, there were a lot of things that went through his mind. Because I'll be real honest with you, if you got that message from the doctor, I don't care how old you are, you're at a point in life where you're going to say, "I just want to live a little bit longer." A good friend of mine, whose father was a preacher, he's a my friend's a second generation father's a preacher. He's 90 years age. Went home to be with the Lord this week. I heard his father preach in the 80s. A great fighter of the faith, to hold her to the traditions of the Baptist faith. And even up at age 90, the man was memorizing verses and verses and verses of Scripture. He had several bouts in the last 10 years. They thought he was going to die. He said, just, I just want to live a little bit longer. And I want to tell you this morning, brother and sister Christ, and those you watching my live stream, I want to tell you today, life is wonderful. There's a value of life. If you're at a place in life right now where the devil's telling you, I hate life, I'm going to tell you, that's not of God. That's of the devil. There's the value of life. I'm not talking about at conception. I'm talking about why, where you and I are at right now. The value of life is found in his pleasure. Listen to this. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I love that verse. God's breath is in your life and mine. Amen. The same breath that breathed God's word into existence, God breathed into Adam and made him a living soul. Not a living body, a living soul. Amen. The tricotomy of man is right here in verse 7. And when God breathed into Adam and made, listen to the phrase, a living soul, he said, live out your life. Life is a gift from God. Can you hear an amen? amen? It's a gift from God. There's no disadvantage about life. It's a gift from God. I thank God for parents who have children that are born very challenged, who have been told by atheistic ungodly doctors, you may want to abort the baby. I thank God for godly parents. No, the baby is a gift from God. We're going to bring the baby full term. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24, listen to what the writer Solomon said after saying previous to that that he hated life. Read that. He said that he, he said he hated life. He had everything life could give him. He had the money, he had the entertainment, he had the kingdom, he had all these things passed down, but he got to a place where he said, right around it, this he got to around age 40, I hate life. And then he said this in Je- Ecclesiastes 2:24. There's nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. Notice he said he further adds to that in Ecclesiastes 5.18. He said, Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and enjoy the good of all his labor that he has done under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth given him for it is his portion. You know what he's saying there? He's saying the same thing. He said life is a gift from God. Not only should you live out your life, you should enjoy your life. You know what he's telling us here? Enjoy eating and drinking. Now, he's not talking about being a glutton. That's not what he's talking about there. He's not talking about being a glutton and overindulging. He says, just enjoy eating, even if the oatmeal is boring. Amen? (laughs) You know, we get to this place because of advertising, marketing. We've got to have flavored water. We have to mix all these additives to our coffee. I like it straight black, amen. We get into debates about whether or not you want your hamburger from In-N-Out or if you want it from somewhere more elaborate. Hey, it's all good, amen. It's all good. And he's just saying, just enjoy life. And then he talks about work. He says, listen, you 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 get to a place, you know, and and, and I love it. I've watched it it for so many years. You know, a young person, graduates from college, they get their first job. They're all fired up, excited, and God answered their prayer. And they're talking about they're going to make their first tithe. And then they get into the mainstream of working, and they start to realize after five years and ten years, man, work is tough. And it's not the work that's so tough, and it's not what they do that's so tough. It's the people that have to deal with that's so tough. 20 years ago, they entered into the mainstream of our language. Now, if you've got a manager that's tough, all of a sudden that manager is a toxic manager. My goodness. You know what God tells us? Enjoy what you do. Enjoy your life. Hey, you, everybody here should enjoy to work. Amen? Should love to work. Should love to be busy. Love to be industrious. Loving doing things. Loving doing things with your hands, with your head, and doing things. Just loving to work. Staying busy. He says you ought to live out your life. You ought to enjoy your life. He says you ought to choose life. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. He said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing, cursing. Listen to this. Therefore, choose life. You may not get your name in the marquee. You may not become famous throughout, but choose life. You might have a lot of pressures and hardship. You might turn the corner at 21 or 31 or 41 or 51, 61, 71 or 81. You might turn the corner and you feel like a, a wall of bricks is falling on you, but choose life. The devil's the author of death. Praise God, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The value of life is found in his pleasure, but notice the value of life is found in his purpose. Listen, Isaiah spoke those words, and I can tell you because you've all been there, and I've been there, where Hezekiah's mind Went into went back in reverse motion and he thought about the last 14 years and they were very real in his mind. And he thought about all the key, and you can read about it in 2 Kings and 2nd Chronicles, all the major decisions he made for God. This man Hezekiah, I mean, he lived for God. I mean, he had the right priority in life. Jesus Christ was his priority. He thought about what is the highest priority in life. Is the highest priority getting my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, my PhD degree? Is my, my, my highest priority in life? Is it to go and become famous? is it my is it my Highest priority in life is to come up with an idea and launch an IPO and become famous and become one of the billionaires on down there in Silicon Valley. It's the highest priority in life and becoming a doc medical doctor. It's the highest priority in life and becoming a pharmacist or an engineer. It's the highest priority in life and being famous. And the highest priority in life is to to hit that million mark and the billionaire. No, the highest priority in life is Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ. I've said this before. If you're not living for Christ, you're not living. If you're not living for Christ, you're not living. Paul said, while he was in a dungeon, he was in the most terrible situation in life. He said, for to me, he said, I don't know about you, but for to me, to live is Christ. What are you living for? It's the purpose in life. Then he said this in verse 20. He said, according to my earnest expectation and in my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Wow. And this is years before he was put to death. You know, to live for to live as Christ is contentment. To live as Christ is happiness. To live as Christ is holiness. To live as Christ is the perfect will of God. To live as Christ is the peace of God that passes all understanding. To live as Christ is the power of God in our lives. To live as Christ is influencing our neighbors and our relatives and our friends with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To live as Christ is saying, you know what, I'm thankful that God has chosen in this New Testament era, this age of grace, that he's given us a local New Testament church that we can be a part of to serve God and advance his kingdom and cause. because that's what it's all about in this life. To live his Christ is not consumption. To live his Christ is not covetousness. To live his Christ is not conceitedness. To live his Christ is not, is not complaining. Hey, to live his Christ is completion, true fulfillment. He thought about his life. He said in Second Kings eighteen verses five and six. This is the commentary that the writer said about him. He said he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah and or nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded most. You know what that's saying there? And he can validate this to his own prayer. I was obedient. I was obedient. we see the excellent value of life. Choose life. But notice in chapter 38, verse 1, we see the eventual vanishing of life. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto, wow, death. The prophet came to him and he prefaced it by saying, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Did you catch there's no discussion about that? There's no negotiation? In that simple phrase God spoke to Hezekiah about his mortality. You can't face to face the reality, the brevity of life. Life is short. Yeah. Psalms 39 5, he says, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and my age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man is best his best state is altogether vanity, selah. Hey, he said three things there. Number one, he said, you know what? He said, ar, 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 he says, My days are as a handbreadth." You know what hand breath is? That's your hand breath. That's how fast life is. It's like the grass that withereth. He said, my age is as nothing before thee. You know what? Sometimes we'll get, man, I'm feeling old. You know what God says? Your age is nothing before me. You think you're old? You're not old. You're old when you feel like there's nothing else you want to do. James 4.14 says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. I mean, that's a great thought for us to think about this morning. The vanishing of life. He presented to him his mortality. At the age of 39, when he's at his prime, he's at his best. He does, he's not starting to feel all these other things happening, but now he's just his whole body's falling apart and things are not good. And he's bedridden and he tells him, You're going to die. He's learning the vanishing of life. Life goes by very quick. I remember we my wife and I and my family years ago we were getting ready to to go on a vacation. We were going to go to Orlando. We never made it to Orlando. And we were with some family. And we had a family member that on my wife's side that had just turned 18. And she uh, was very excited about having turned 18. And she turned to my wife and myself. We are sitting at a table somewhere. And she said, Auntie Grace, I want to let you know I'm so excited. I'm going to be out with my older sister tonight. We're going to go out and celebrate tonight. And we said, we'll be very, very careful. And then my wife gets a phone call at 5.30 that Sunday morning as we were getting ready to leave for to leave for Orlando on, on a 7, 7.30 flight. She gets a call. And, and then she comes downstairs. She's crying. My wife. Alan, she said, uh, and she told me the niece's name, she said, she just passed away. I said, what are you talking about? We just saw her last night. A year after that, we were at a leadership conference down in Lancaster, and I was, wasn't pastor at that time. We were down in Lancaster for a leadership conference, I still remember that afternoon. It was a very, one of those hot Lancaster days. It was about a 100, 500, 600, degrees outside, dry heat and all that kind of stuff. And uh, my wife took a phone call, and she got the phone call. She got a call from one of her sisters telling her, yes, my, my youngest daughter was making a turn, a left turn, onto a, some down highway there, and a truck hit her, and she died instantly upon impact. She's just 21. It's a vapor. You say your last goodbye, you give your last kiss, you don't know it's a vapor. That's the reality of life. He came face to face with mortality, but notice something else. The Bible says that he came face to face with a message. Notice the message to him was, Set thine house in order. Amy Carmichael made the statement, she said, about life. She said, we will have eternity to celebrate the victories, but only a few hours before sunset to win them. That's a great thought. He was going to die, but he received a message. Get your house in order. Get your affairs together. Get your priorities updated. Get your affairs organized. The things you know you need to do, you need to escalate them to the top and get it done. Hey, let me give you a few thoughts we need to do to set our house in order. Number one, secure your future. The Bible says it is appointed a man once to die, and after this is the judgment. And you need to join tonight's service to hear about it, because I've never preached it the way I'm going to preach it tonight. You're only going to die once. You're only going to go through life once. He says you better secure your future. If you're watching today by live stream, you're here this morning, you're not 100% sure that if you died right now, you're going to heaven. You need to secure your future. You need to make sure that you're saved and going to heaven. You need to make sure that you've repented of your sins and made Jesus Christ your Savior. Hey, this is not something to put off. And I'm going to talk about tonight, I'll talk about where it says the dead, small, and great. I'm going to talk about this this large throng of people that will be brought there. I'm going to tell you about the second resurrection. I'm going to tell you what kind of people are going to be there at the great right throne judgment. I'm going to get down to some specifics about something. And I'm going to tell you one of those groups I'm going to talk about are what we call the pretenders, those who pretend that they're saved, those who put on a pretense they're saved, but they're really not saved. You may have prayed a prayer, but if you don't know in your heart that you've really repented of your sins and you really have made Jesus Christ your Savior of your life, you need to make sure you're saved. Listen, the Bible says examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Secure your future. Make sure you're saved before you leave this life. David said there's but a step between me and death. Secondly, support your family. Listen, we get into all these things, and sometimes we get into this hyper-spiritual thinking. says God will take care of my family. Listen, God takes care of your family as you take care of your family. Take care of your family. You young married couples, you young guys about ready to get married, I want to tell you, your first goal is you better take care of your family. Leave your family in better shape if you die than while you're alive. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, if a man doesn't take care of his own, he's worse than an infidel. That's pretty strong. Number one, make sure you have adequate life insurance. Number two, make sure you identify all the proper contact information for all your credit cards and all your lenders and everybody. There. Make sure you've got identified because if you're like me, you've got a lot of stuff out there. You've got to make sure your spouse, whoever's going to pick up after you, can find all of those things. Hey, th- this and this. Make sure not only that, make sure you've identified your insurance companies, your banks, everything that they can access to. Make sure you have the proper wills and trust that, that indicates your desire in terms of how you're going to pass it on. I mean, make sure you support your family. Don't put it off. Get it done. If you're young, you're Young family, you got to be thinking about if something happens to you and your wife, if God decides to take both of you, who's going to take care of your children? Well, my mom will. How do you know your mom will? And if you're going to leave your kids with somebody else, how do you know they're going to fulfill God's will as you would try to fulfill God's will for your little children? Secure your future, support your family. Listen to this settle your feuds. Settle your feuds. Most things people fight about, get upset about, as far as eternity is concerned, they're nothing. Settle your feuds. Don't die a grumpy Christian. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. Most of our contentions are because of pride. Only by pride cometh contention. Say you're sorry. Amen. Settle your feuds. But here's another one, substantiate your faith. You know what the Bible says about Abel when he died? He being dead, yet speaketh. They buried Elisha in a grave, and some men were carrying another man to, they left the grave open, I don't know why. Why? And they were carrying this man to give him a proper burial, and they heard the Syrians were coming. And so you know what they did? They threw the man's body into the, into the grave of where Elisha was. I'm not sure if they knew that was Elisha's grave. And as soon as that man's body touched the bones of Elisha, that man came back to life. The other day we, had a, we did the, uh, the memorial service for Frank Hipona's mother, Mrs. Rebecca Hapona. I always enjoyed seeing Mrs. Ipona sit right back here in the corner here and sitting in her wheelchair in those days when Brother Frank could bring her and I shake her hand. It was remarkable back in the, I think, around 2000, 2011 when his mother trusted Jesus Christ her Savior, came with a strong Catholic background and got saved. Frank contacted me that Tuesday when they thought she wasn't going to make it. And he spent some time with her. And then a couple hours later, he contacted me. He said, Pastor, she went home to be with the Lord. And I said, I'm sorry about that. And we started working for the next several days about planning a, a memorial service. You've got to understand, in COVID-19, memorial service it's very challenging because basically they limit the number of people that can come in and be a participant in that. And basically, I think they limit like 15 or 20 people per service. So we had to work through that. And we had to, we had to live stream for those who couldn't come and all that. And I wanted to meet his family members and things of that nature there. And I prayed with Frank extensively for the salvation of his family members. And we did two two services. We did a viewing on Thursday night and the service on Friday. And the viewing Thursday night, I just got up there and preached the gospel. I pretty much controlled the platform from there. And I knew I was going to have some strong opposition from different religious persuasions. Some of the family members. But the amazing thing is I preached the gospel and told them how to be saved. Listen, the most amazing thing was there there were several at at the invitation that received Jesus Christ their Savior old Les Johns. Old Les Johns got got reached, and my daughter-in-law, Jennifer, she took a so-winning partner around 2010 2011, they went around the corner in San Leandro knocked on a door, and old Les Johns opened the door and they brought Les Johns up. You remember Les Johns? Les Johns was crippled in one leg. He was an old Navy veteran. He'd walk like this, and he'd walk like this with that cane there, and I I was with him tonight. I saw Brother Jojo come in. He was at at your house one time. Remember that time he fell down at your house there? He walked outside, and he just tripped over his feet. I mean, Brother Brother Johns could not walk very well, and Les Johns, he came, and two weeks later, he got saved. Listen, Les Johns never got over the fact he was saved. Amen. Oh, he's talked about being saved and being part of church. He loved his church and he came out of a situation where his family had a very strong, different religious persuasion. It was July 4th and my wife and I got a phone call about two years ago on July 4th and the phone call said, Hi, this is Lori Johns. I need to talk to Pastor Pastor Fong and I knew it wasn't a good phone call. He said, Pastor, I want you to know, Les passed away. He, he fell over dead on, on the other day there, and I thought I'd better give you a call and tell you about it. And I said, I'm so sorry. Can my wife and I see you tomorrow? She said, Yeah. And I said, she said, Do you have time? I said, I'll make time. I said, I've got a full schedule tomorrow, but I'm going to see you. We'll work it out. That's my problem, not your problem. Went over to see her, went out to Union City to see this dear lady, spent some time with her. And the Lord opened a door for us, and we were able to get the gospel. She got saved, and her sister got assurance of salvation. We had a service, some of you may or may not remember this, we had a service for him, and uh, they told me all the particulars, and, and they let me plan it to a degree, but I always like they tell them this, when they're going to have other participants, I always say, let me close the service. Let me get the last word in. Man, I'm glad I did that, because they changed, they t- they changed everything, and when I arrived at the funeral house on that, thir- that Thursday or Friday, whatever it was, when I arrived there, they changed everything, and they had some other guy up there doing stuff, and I thought, My, it's good work to religion, I said, this ain't going to work, Amen. I got up and I asked what to do, and you know, and they they know how we do things. They started quoting all the verse we did, so I changed my whole thing. I didn't I didn't use my I just took, chose a verse and preached the gospel off there. Amen. And I, and I got up, and I was pretty strong. I said, listen, yeah, some of you will never see less in heaven. There'll never be a family union because you're trusting in good works. What you need to do to see today is realize that Jesus Christ died for your sins and realize that less may not have been a vocal believer, but he being dead speaks to you right now, and he's telling you if he could come back right now, you ought to believe on Jesus Christ, get saved right now. I gave the invitation. I did something I rarely do. I said, listen, and there were about 80 people there, and of those 80 people, there were at least 20 of them were people from our church that came to support it. And they came, they didn't even really know less, they didn't really know his wife, they didn't know anything about what's going on, and our members were still trickling in on that. Maybe we even have as many as 30 people. I gave the invitation, I said, if you're really serious about getting saved, and trusting Jesus Christ your Savior, would you stand up right now and identify yourself? And listen, there were two of his relatives right there on my left side that stood up. They stood up, and then all of a sudden people were popping up like popcorn all over the room. And Brother Lito Martinez was there, he counted it up, and he said later on, he said, Pastor, I thought you might like to know, there were 17 people that got saved tonight. He being dead, yet speaketh. He being dead, yet speaketh. Substantiate your faith. We see the action value, the eventual vanishing quickly, but you notice the crux of our message tonight, this morning. Notice the essential vital. I want you to see with me the crux of the message, because we're going to have a lot of time. I want you to see with me this morning the vital of life. Hezekiah is all torn up, Amen. I mean, he is torn up. Verse 2 says when he heard that, he, had, he was speechless. He didn't know what to say because basically he said, man, if my life is up, what, what am I going to do? Well, he did what you naturally do. He, he prayed. <laughs> now, he was just being human. You've lived life to its fullest, and you're enjoying life, and you watch your kids grow up, and you and your wife have a great marriage, and things are going on. You know what? You you're not ready to die yet. Then Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall. He didn't want anybody to see him weep. He was crying. I'll tell you what, we need a revival. We need a revival of grown men having tears for God, weeping. He turned his face towards the wall, the Bible says in verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord. And his prayer was very simple. He said, remember now. Hey, but can I tell you today, God does remember us. Amen. God doesn't forget, God does remember us. In fact, he doesn't forget, amen? He just looks at us there. He says, remember now, he says, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I've walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. Now he wasn't declaring his righteousness per se. He wasn't saying he was self-righteous. You know what he's saying with a repentant heart? He's, because I believe he was searching his heart as he heard those words, as he heard the words from Isaiah. He searched his heart, he said, Lord, I tried the best I could. As far as I know, my conscience is clear. I've lived before God and before men with a good conscience. And, he, and I think he was saying here, Lord, he said, and he, and he chose these words very carefully. He said, I've walked before thee in truth. And he says, and with a perfect heart, and have done, good, have done that which is good in thy sight. And he did. If you go back and read those earlier years, all the things that he did, he said, I've done that which is good in thy sight. And he prays that prayer, and he just, and the Bible says he wept sore. He didn't know God was going to hear his prayer. And I want you to understand as we look at the, this portion here, God extends incredible grace to Hezekiah. The other Bible passages, 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, tell us this. Hezekiah, Isaiah gave the message. I want you to imagine Brother A.J. Being, being, being Hezekiah. He's received this message. He's turned his face to the wall. He's praying. Isaiah tur- turns about this way, and he just starts walking out. He walks out of the palace. He's now in the middle court. Now, I don't know what the distance of time, how long it took for him to walk. And it, depending on if you're a fast walker, slow walker, it really doesn't matter. But he's out in the middle court. And whatever time went by, God... God says to the prophet Isaiah, this is how close Isaiah was to God. He gave him a message to go there. And, and I have to tell you, Isaiah went there with a heavy heart. I think that was the hardest message he ever had to bring. It was the hardest message he ever had to bring. And then he's, he's walking out. God turned around and says, now I have another message. I want you to go back around. I have a new message, I want you to tell him. And God was telling Isaiah, was embedding in his heart and mind at that moment of time, a different message to give to the, the, the king Hezekiah. And he goes to him, and you'll notice here these verses that we just read, in verses four to eight, he extends incredible, special grace to him. He's telling you, I'm gonna let you live. He's telling him, I did remember you. He's gonna tell him, I do remember that you walk with me in truth, and you walk with me with a perfect heart. And he says, I do remember that you did all this, but I want you to see some things, and I'm not gonna reiterate this, I want you to look at this real quickly here. I want you to see what the vital of life out of this, Number one, would you notice this in verse five, all the things that the word of the Lord said to Isaiah, real quickly. He says, go and say to Hezekiah, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father. Notice the first thing he said, I have heard thy prayer. Now I'm going to tell you today, the greatest excitement in the Christian life is knowing God hears your prayer. And he hears your prayer. Let me tell you, there's never a time God does not hear our prayer. He hears our prayer. He said, Hezekiah, you're brokenhearted, you're weeping, you're dying, you're declining health. I want you to know, I have heard thy prayer. Prayer. But he says something else. By the way, what a comfort to know we have a God who answers our prayers. Amen. But he said this, which was remarkable. He said, I've seen thy tears. You know, tears are so important to God. The Bible says he puts them in a bottle. The book of Psalms tells us that he puts in a bottle and remembers our tears. He sees the tears of the sow winner. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He sees our tears of sorrow. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 2 4, going through much afflictions and grievances. And he says, In much sorrow. He sees our broken heart. He sees when we weep, when someone we love has gone home to be with the Lord or has passed away. He sees our sorrow. He sees our tears when we win souls. He sees our tears when we suffer. He sees the tears when we pray. God didn't waste time. He said in verse 5, Behold. Look at here. I will add. He didn't say Isaiah will add. He said I will add. Praise God. It's God doing it. Amen. Amen. I will add into thy years, into thy days, 15 years. Now if you've been with me when we've had people in church who've had very Difficult illnesses, we have claimed Isaiah 38 many, many of those times and prayed over that person. Let me give a disclaimer and tell you this. This doesn't mean it's going to happen for everybody. First of all, the precursor to this is the fact this man fulfilled, he lived a righteous life before God. The Bible tells us a secret about prayer in 1 John 3.22. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. That's a condition of prayer. And it, that's what he says here. And God doesn't necessarily answer all of our prayers instantaneously. God sometimes uses delays because he's doing, he's doing a greater work in our soul than he does for our body. But he says, I have heard thy prayers, I've seen thy tears, I will add into thy days 15 years. Now, this is, this is the, you know, he just heard moments before you're going to die, set your house in order. And he's feeling the weakness of the moment and the mortality of the moment and he's crying profusely. I mean, you could you could almost imagine, if you would, his pillow that he laid his bed on is soaking wet with his tears. I mean, it's like, can, does this man's tears run dry? And they did and he was just profusely crying. And you could tell if you walked into that room, his face is stained, he's crying and he's got this, just he's just been weeping and crying and the Bible says he wept sorely and uh, and the prophet comes in he says, listen, God said, I've heard thy prayer, I've seen thy tears, I'll end thy days 50 years. And you could just imagine, for just a minute. He's probably thinking, really? Who who told you this, Isaiah? God, God, are you really going to do that? I mean, he didn't say that, but that was probably in his mind. The Bible says Jews require a sign, amen? And God already knew that because God has foreknowledge, amen? God knows all about it. He knows, hey, God, by the way, God knows our weakness. Aren't you glad he knows about your weakness? He compensates for it, Amen. And he says, listen, and he says, I'm, I'm going to take care of that. And he says, I'm going to deliver you from the king of Assyria. And notice verse 7. This is so incredible. He says, And this shall be a sign unto thee from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. He says, Now I understand you may have some doubts about this right now. He says, I'm going to give you a sign that you will know I will do what I have said. By the way, God always does what he says. God always does what he says. He's not a liar. And he said in verse 8, behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees which has gone down the sundial of earth. Now, you have to study it out yourself, but sundials in those days were the equivalent of a clock. That's how they tell time. And the sundials were, were to move as best as possible. They were engineered to move as, as, according to the rising and the setting of the sun. By drips of water and things like that. So the sundial would move there. The sundial could only go in one direction. It could not go in reverse. It would always go forward. It would never go in reverse. Now you and I could take our watches and set in reverse. We turned the clock back like that. But you couldn't do that with the sundial. And he talks about specifically the Sundial of Ahaz. It was an obelisk that Ahaz himself had established that he created there. So if you can imagine this huge Sundial that he had that everybody looked at, it's kind of like looking, I remember the days in Oakland when, when the, the old Oakland Tribune Tower, everybody wanted to tell the time, they looked for the Oakland Tribune Tower and somebody in their mind back in those days, the old editor maybe was uh, uh, William Nolan or something like that, they thought well maybe what we need to do is put a clock there so people can remember us by the clock. Or, or if you remember the, uh, the maritime, the ferry building over in San Francisco there on the pier, and for years there KRON used to show there. They had a clock on there. I mean, so whatever it was, it was something very visible that people could see. And he talked about something that was visible. He said, now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a sign. It's going to be an unusual sign. It's going to be a miraculous sign. It's going to be a one-time sign that you've never seen happen before. He said, listen, and he asked this question on the other verse. He says, is it too hard? Is it an impossible thing for the sundown to go forward or backwards? He said, well, God has nothing for it to go, to go forward, but it, it's, 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 going to, it's going to be a miracle for it to go backwards. He said, well, here's what I'm going to do for you. Look at it again. He says, here's what's going to happen. He says, now, he says, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees. Now, he said, bring again. I'm going to turn it back. He says, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees, which has gone down the sundial of Ahaz 10 degrees backward." Now, here's what he's saying. Well, for whatever reason, God said, I'm going to take the sundial exactly where it's at right now. It's like this. I'm going to turn degree, 10 degrees backwards. Now, you couldn't do that humanly without messing everything up. Amen. And here's what God's saying. I'm going to turn the clock back 10 degrees. I'm going to turn the clock back. I'm going to give you 15 years to give you a sign about that so you know this is a me. I'm going to give you back your years. I'm going, to give, I'm going to turn the clock back. Hey, here's my question for you today. If God could turn the clock back, what would be different about your life? if god could turn the clock back if you knew you had today you're going to die if you knew today you're going to die what would you do if god told you you had 15 more years to live what would you do if the clock got turned back if you're 25 years old and you knew that the clock could turn back to age 10 what would you do if you're 50 years old and you knew the clock could turn back to age 35 what would you do if you're 35 years old and the clock could turn back 15 years what would you do if you're 70 years old and the clock could turn back 15 years what would you do If the clock could turn back, would you surrender, sir, to be a preacher of the gospel?" If the clock could turn back, would you surrender to go to the mission field and take the gospel of Jesus Christ and propagate it to sinners? If the clock could turn back, would you take back all the evil words and bad things that you've said throughout the years? And would you live a life where there's kindness and meekness that proceeds out of your life? If you could turn back the years, would you give the tithe on time to God and participate in faith promise? If you could turn back the clock, would you participate in serving God with all your might and whatsoever thy hand find it to do, you'll do it with all your might? If you could turn the clock back, would you say, I'll be faithful to God and come into Church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Which, if you could turn back the clock, would you say, I would do more for Jesus than I did in the previous 15 years? What would you do if God turned the clock back 10 degrees for you? I think if God could turn the clock back right now, you'd learn to be a soul winner. I think you'd win as many souls as you possibly could. I think every time the church was open, you'd participate and be in church. I don't think you'd waste your time with frivolous things. I think you would say like Joshua, but it's for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I think if you, were, if you could turn the clock back, you'd say, Pastor, show me what to do, train me, teach me so we can go plant some churches right now, amen, and get some extension ministries going, and have some off-site, multi-site services and things like that. I think if you could turn the clock back, you'd stop complaining and be more thankful. I think if you could turn the clock back, you'd be a blessing to the senior saints of the church. I think if you could turn the clock back, there's a lot more things you would do, you'd say, Man, if I was 15 years younger, I would do all these things. Well, you know what? You could still do it right now because if God put it on your heart, you could do it now. Amen. Amen. I will turn back the sundial 10 degrees. I will add it to thy days 15 years. If God turned the clock back, what you do differently? Stop building your kingdom, start building the kingdom of God. So we close very quickly. Would you notice encouraging validation? The rest of chapter, verses 9 to 22, is a diary that he wrote about what God did for him. Incredible. Incredible. But quickly, I want you to see a couple things he did for him. Look at verses 17 to 20. I'm going to summarize it for you, real quickly. He said in verse 17, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness. Now, he's describing his condition before God spoke to him. Now, here's how God validated it. But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind the back. Now, he's saying two things. Number one, thou in love. Thou in love. He says, thou in love has delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. Number one, God loves you. Amen. Amen. He said, Hezekiah... Hezekiah wrote down, God did this because he loved me. Listen, if God gives us one day or one year or another 30 years, it's because he loves you. Because he loves you. And whatever God puts in our life, never discount the fact it's because God loves you. He recognized the validation of God's love. He was all messed up inside. He was all torn up inside. And then at that moment, after he saw the sign of the sundial turning back 10 degrees, he recognized the love of God. Hey, in the midst of all of our confusion, all of our turmoil, we have to stop every now and then and just say, you know what? What a wonderful thing. Jesus loves me. Amen? Amen. Then why you go down with me for a minute? He said in verse 18, for the grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot come forth truth. Then he said in verse 19, the living, the living, he shall praise thee. You know what he's saying? Thank God. Now, this is great. This is, this is probably the best part of it. He said, you know what's great? God's given me 15 more years. You know what I'm going to do? He said, now I realize if I go down the grave, I can't praise you there. But God's going to let me live. He says, the living, the living shall praise thee. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, you know what? I'm going to live my life to the praise and glory of God. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm just going to praise. You know what he said? I'm going to stop my complaining. I'm going to stop my worrying. I'm going to stop my fretting. Stop being anxious. And now that God has given me back literally 15 more years, he says this. He's added 15 years of my life. I'm going to live to praise the Lord. It's not that difficult to live the Christian life. Just live to praise the Lord. Amen. And then he said this. He said in verse 20, the Lord was ready to save me. Can I tell you something today as we close? God is ready to do something for you and me. Amen. He's ready to save anybody who realizes they're without Christ and they need to get saved. He's ready to save you right now. He will save you from the uttermost to the guttermost. He can save your soul from sin right now if you just would say, I repent of my sins and take Jesus Christ as my Savior. He's ready to save you. He's ready to act on your behalf. He's ready to answer your prayer. He's ready to make you a man of God. He's ready to make you the husband you need to be. He's ready to make you the wife you need to be. He's ready to make you a student that can serve God. He's ready to make you a missionary. The Lord is ready. ready. Then he said it in verse 17, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. That's so good. Amen. Amen. Thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. You know why you ought to get saved? Because not only does he forgive your sins, he says "Their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. They're expunged. You know why you don't have to live in insecurity in the Christian life about sin? If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what that's saying? When he forgives you, he forgives you. He doesn't bring up an old dirty bone to bring it back up. The devil might do that, but God doesn't. Thou hast set my sins behind thy back. If I could turn the clock back, makes us rethink our life. What are we doing? Where are you going? If God gave you 15 more years, God could turn the clock back. What would you do? What would you do?